0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I would say actually quite a large part of the job is that mental aspect of getting past that kind of um, just the sort of dynamics of, of either a writer's room or a writer's day of not putting too much pressure on yourself, essentially.
2: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. In this conversation, I talk to writer and comedian James Farmer. Perfect. Hello, I'm Steve Whiteley and welcome to Balancing Acts, a series of conversations with an array of creatives. We talk about their journey, the struggles they faced whilst progressing their career, strategies they used to unlock their creativity, how they balance their career with their personal lives, what impact this has had on their mental health, and lots more. James is one of the top gag writers in the UK. He's pretty much worked for everyone from Jimmy Carr, Adam Hills, and Last Leg. Ramesh on Ragged Nation, Frankie Boyle on his shows. He's also a stand-up script writer and um, has made a few shorts as well. So this was a great conversation. As um, yeah, we dive in deep talking about James's experience as a as a writer on panel shows and beyond. And now time for my predictable reminder. If you like balancing acts, if you like this series, if you like this episode, please give us a rate review. You don't have to like me even. You know, it's more about the guests. You can you can really like the guests. And and have a and have quite a disliking to me. I'm okay with that. Just want to liberate you from the shackles of feeling like you know you have to do a positive, glowing review on me, because you know it's it's about the guests and and the value that they bring to us all. <laughs> that sounded dis disingenuous, but it was it was meant very genuinely. Feels good, doesn't it? Feels like there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel this week with the nice weather, people outside, with fashionable haircuts and and nice attire playing guitars that's what everyone was doing when they playing our guitars and sitting in groups getting high is uh it felt good felt like the um the 60s not i wasn't there in the 60s but i would imagine it was that kind of you know that kind of vibe that kind of vibe uh <laughs> or not or not it was just people in the park really wasn't it just people in the park all right without further ado over to james James, welcome. What's that behind you on the wall there?
0: This here has been uh, referred to quite a lot in, like, a lot of writers' rooms sort of try and guess what it is. One person thought it was a, uh, genuinely thought it was a Japanese flag just on my wall. Okay. No reason, but no, it is,
2: uh, it's a mirror. Okay, yeah. Niftily changes colour depending which angle you look at it. That's what's, um, yeah, that's what's interesting about it, because it looks like a a gong of some sort, like a giant gong. (laughs) It's how I like to start
0: every podcast I do. I just oh, you the mean, gone. You, and then, and then... we make comments. Exactly. Yeah, exactly that. Um yeah, it's it's basically that kind of thing you might see in like Oliver Bonus or something. Yes. And yeah.
2: I'll, I'll never buy that. Um and yeah, we bought that. We bought I it. Okay. Really well, why. it's it's already got a return of investment because it's become a talking point in your writers' rooms. Has it led yeah. to any ideas that have then been implemented in those writers' rooms? no other than that, i've got quite poor taste nothing else okay the main maybe word. i'll gag about oliver
0: bonus yeah exactly yeah. that yeah but uh, other than that no um i do feel like sometimes i'm supposed to have like quite a cool background from a podcast like, i quite often look at like comedians and writers and they'll have like quite carefully like sort of, there'll be somebody who's got like a bookshelf or something or, like, yeah very
2: curated
0: that so well, I sometimes I'm... i genuinely wondered whether i should put like something in the background to make me look slightly more interesting but i've got almost nothing of worth here so uh you're just getting that
2: well you can you can go to this company now that has uh, launched during the pandemic and they are um a specialized interior designer that help you uh curate the perfect background for zoom calls to make you look like a very cultured and interesting individual <laughs> uh, it's quite it's quite a good idea when you think about it
0: yeah that is like i don't think there's a i can't think of a more perfect example of capitalism in my entire life <laughs> just like, such a niche company, but it's it's working.
2: Yeah. Uh, sorry. How much is it? F- Fifty thousand pounds for an hour, and you know you're set up for life. That's the thing. So yeah. it lasts for every Zoom call. You don't have to change it. Yeah. If you want the sort of like
0: intelligent professor package, that's slightly more. Yeah. If you want, like rough student, that's less. You know.
2: Yeah. No. It's, so uh, yeah, it's it's smart. Um. So did you kick things off in your comedy career as as a stand up? Did that come before writing? Because you're you're very sort of sought-after writer and sort of gag writer and you, on the TV side of things. Was it, was it comedy that opened the doors to that world or was it the other way around? Did you start in production and work your way from, from there and then start doing stand-up?
0: Yeah, weirdly, um, stand-up and writing have been kept, but I think they've been quite separate in a weird way. Um, okay. uh, I started off as a stand-up uh, mostly because I think that the doors for stand-up are quite... They're easier to open because you just do it yourself, if you know what I mean. You can, if sure. you're doing stand up, whereas writing, you know, it's it's harder to get into. But, um, so writing came from being in production, really, um, and wasn't even necessarily something that I thought I would be doing. I sort of I was much more kind of stand up, uh, that's not a word, but stand up, yeah. Um, and then, uh, I worked on various shows as kind of a first as a runner, then a researcher, then an assistant producer, things like eight out of ten cats, and um. Uh, a show called 10 o'clock live and certain certain charlie brooker things and things like that and then on various ones that you, you sort of just develop a relationship with the producer and eventually they let you submit a joke okay uh, not was really it- quite often wasn't even for like to be seen by any comedians it was quite often just a producer got tired of me nagging them and went
2: fine i'll read your jokes um, okay because i was going to ask like did you find it hard or how did you navigate between finding the right time the appropriate time to then say oh by the way you know i write some stuff would you take a look was it sort of like one week into the job or did you sort of (laughs) hold back hold back a little bit before you you put your foot forward yeah i I definitely held back
0: i think there's like a, a slight misconception sometimes about uh about how important like the hustle is um which i'm not very good at uh i have seen a lot of people kind of like will meet a producer and then immediately be like here's my stuff yeah and I, i've always felt like that's fine and it might work sometimes because producers feel uncomfortable enough to go yeah okay i'll read it and it's when you meet someone like that you sort of do yeah but i think it's certainly i found it, anyway it's much more important to actually have a relationship with the producer and like become sort of to the point where they trust you as a person and then so quite often i did that so quite often i would I I didn't open with, I think it becomes quite cynical if you sort of are clearly using that contact. to.
1: Whereas
0: I prefer to create a fake friendship with them, then use them for my career. Um, So yeah, so I I would say it it took a while. um, But what was nice was because I was in that environment, I could sort of see the mechanics of Mm -hmm. how those jokes work. I mean, quite often I was like, Getting the tea and coffee for the writers and the writers' room and stuff like that, so I'd be able to go in and sort of see how it'd work. And like, um, uh, quite pathetically, I used to do things like uh, nick their notes at the end of the day that they'd written down and read through it and be like, oh, "What are they doing there?" and all that kind of stuff. Which was, uh, in my head, like a sort of Matt Damon Goodwill Hunting thing, but actually wasn't useful. Um, <laughs> couldn't read what? I couldn't read a word what they'd written. Yeah, exactly. Just copy their jokes exactly. essentially. Ooh. <laughs> yeah um but no so uh, yeah it, it sort of came organically from production that's side. really it is it, it's, it's one of those things that looks quite simple from the outset but actually took quite a lot of me sending jokes in mm. and often producers going yeah you literally can't do this this is terrible <laughs> and then occasionally one producer going oh that's all right and then you know eventually being able to i got put in a writer's room as a scribe okay so literally so writing all the notes yeah just typing down everything everyone says
2: really and and, and when you did initially get the um sort of rejections or people saying you know this maybe isn't for you did you ever did you ever sort of weigh up Or oh, well actually maybe I'm not I'm not so good <laughs> at this or it just were, means- or were you kind of more like they don't know what they're talking about uh, or, or or was it just a question of like okay I'm just going to I'm just going to persist i think there was <laughs> it's interesting
0: are you asking me why I haven't given up yet because uh, <laughs> Like, I mean, I, I, I sort of say this to my pillow every night. Um, no, I think that, I think there was, I mean, I love it, it's the truth. Like, I genuinely love writing jokes. I know that sounds like a sort of bit of a corny thing to say, but I do love writing jokes. And I always felt like there was something there. Like, in, there's always, you've got to have a little bit of self-belief. Otherwise, sure. yeah. definitely. Um, but yeah, it. I think that I just kept doing it, essentially, in a sort mm. of relentless Kind of almost sociopathic way, just kept writing jokes and jokes and jokes because I thought, well, eventually it'll have to work. And then it's like anything, isn't it? You, I think all your successes become quite incremental as you move up. And so, mm-hmm. what se- might not seem like much now was huge, like something like a producer going, "Oh, I really liked that joke you did." Mm-hmm. Like it's not for the show, but I really liked it. it. Was like made, you know that 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 kept me going for six more months. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so for sure. I think it's those little victories that are so important. Um, yeah. as you move. Um, I would say Uh, so yeah no so I I just kept going and then eventually got like a joke on a show um, which was like amazing and then and then then, you know just kept
2: going really yeah and you have sort of like a joke writing formula or is it much more sort of freestyle
1: Um,
0: it's interesting it sort of depends on the show quite I would say okay Um, so I do sort of walk because I did quite a, a range of them so um, it's not so much like a formula. I think that's, I think, I think, i said I say this in that right way. Essentially, I think that the idea of writing jokes pref- like for a living on sort of, be it like a satirical show or, you know, a, a topical show or like a sketch show or whatever, like the thing that I think is quite difficult for anybody who's new to it, and I certainly found really difficult, is like, there's quite a lot of people who can be funny and there's quite a lot of people who can write a joke. And it's like that's fine but you're being paid to write loads of jokes loads of options low and consistently and quite often you're being parachuted into a show for a day so you know you quite in the uk there's very few writers who will be working on a whole series you know like a they'll be on retainer for 10 weeks so they do that in america but here they don't it's like you're in you're in here for a day so you better be writing these jokes properly do you know what i mean there's not yeah. like oh Tomorrow it doesn't matter if you're hungover, it doesn't matter if you're tired, doesn't matter if you're not being funny. You just have to come in and write good enough jokes or good enough sketches that will be like be able to go on the telly. And I think that's quite a hard thing to do if you are just relying on the creative part of your brain, because your creative part of your brain can be a bit scatty and a bit kind of like, oh, decided not to work today. So it's not so much there's a formula, but there are definitely mechanics and certain structures and certain ways you can trick your brain into moving to allow yourself to like go okay i've written 12 jokes about joe biden today and they want another 12 okay what can i ha- do you know what I mean and then and so it's not so much like this is the formula of a sentence that works for a joke yeah it's kind of like there are certain avenues that i've taught my brain to go down that okay
2: help that process if that makes sense that um, makes sense so, so can you give me an example of how you might trick your brain
0: <laughs> yeah so uh it's sort of difficult because it sort of happens. It just happens, if you know what I mean. But like, okay. uh, so any uh, examples can be terrible now. I guess, like, um, it's quite hard to explain actually. But I guess the, the, the way, if I could use the most obvious example, someone like Trump would be like, which is always somebody like that is always, whenever if, if any, if, if, if anybody who doesn't write comedy hears about someone like Trump, the phrase they always say is like, oh, what a gift. You must love Trump. And actually, if you speak to anyone who writes comedy, like he's the worst thing ever because all day you write jokes about Trump. So, and all day everyone on Twitter writes jokes about Trump and all day everybody. So there's not, having a unique thought about Trump is actually very difficult because yeah, he's got he's got orange hands. Okay, cool. Like, you know, you sort of, yeah. that's been done. So actually he's, he's quite a difficult subject. So with someone like him, for example, and this is, a, it's a bit clunky, but you might just start thinking about, if, if you're really stuck, I'm talking about, like, you know, if you're really mm. stuck with it, when you're under pressure. You you'll start thinking about the sort of the firstly the cliches, the cliches of who he is. You know whether he's got tiny hands or your skin, and then you think, well, not them, but can we invert that? Can we move that? Is there a, is there a way you can flip those things to mm-hmm. say it in a way you know somebody's never said before? So that's one avenue you might go down. You might go down think other stories that are currently relevant in the news that are topical, that might lend itself to uh, be part of the joke that will lift it. So. This is quite a, it's like anything you talk about. If you dissect comedy too much, it instantly falls apart. But like yeah, yeah. those sort of things are processes certainly that are happening, okay. I would say, in most sort of comedy writers' brains to sort of elevate themselves so that they're able to write so many jokes quickly in a day under pressure, if you say okay Otherwise, certainly when I first started, you know, you literally just get a piece of, a black piece of paper or, or laptop and you're like, and then are like, cool, can you write us 100 jokes? And
2: if you're not used to that, it's quite a, oh god it's quite Um, daunting what how do you deal with that pressure when you like you said you're brought in you're parachuted in for a day mm. uh, and you're like right we need x amount of jokes is at first is there a certain level of pressure that you that you felt and if so have has that become easier as you've progressed in your career
0: yeah it's 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 tricky it's really tricky I'd, i'd say it's a large part of the job actually is weirdly being able to deal with that bit like once i sort of Got past that sort of self doubt of like, what on earth am I doing here? This is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, it became a lot, like, it, it it became slightly easier. I'd say, like, there was, I remember there was a, oh, I won't say the name of it, but there was quite a high profile um, sort of satirical comedy show that I got a day on uh, maybe like four years ago, five years ago. And I was quite new. And I got one day on it and I was so excited. And I was sort of the newest person in the room. And, and, and everyone in that room was very talented, brilliant kind of people. And I built it up so much in my head that like, by the time I'd arrived in that morning, I was like, oh my God, okay, okay, okay. So, you know, really nervous about it. And it got to like an hour in and I realized I'd basically not said anything. (laughs) Because I'd said one thing in the morning and it wasn't very good. And the other guys were nice, but they were like, maybe not that. And I went, cool, I'm terrible. And then it's insane. And then your brain just starts going, well, the next thing I say has to be funny. Okay, well, the next thing I said just has to be funny. And then it's like the worst way you can write in the world. So it, being able to, it's like any job, isn't it? Once you, once you start becoming experienced at it and you start getting called back for different shows and you start, you start having enough, of con, enough confidence to be able to say a bad joke and mm-hmm. be able to well, it doesn't matter, it's fine, I, I can do this job. And that's how writers' rooms flourish, I would say, when everyone in that room is confident enough to not be funny and you can mm-hmm. just say something and it doesn't matter if it's not funny. Because worst case scenario, everyone ignores it. Or actually, sometimes you might say something not funny and another writer picks up a word you said in the middle of it and it becomes a thing. It sparks so, off something. Exactly. So I, I would say actually quite a large part of the job is that mental aspect of getting past that kind of, um, just the sort of dynamics of, of either a writer's room or a writer's day of not putting too much pressure on yourself, essentially.
2: Okay. Are you now at a point now where you've got younger writers coming in, you know, for their first experiences? You know, I was once like you, lad. Yeah, Yeah, proper old.
0: I'm a proper old sailor, kind of like (laughs) um, stories. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. I remember when I was coming in, I was like, if only there were more like doors open for like younger writers. It's just really unfair. And now I'm in, I'm like, can we shut those doors? (laughs) There's actually loads of young people and they're really good. And that's
2: not, um, it's not okay.
0: Yeah. I would say, actually, to be fair, I I think that the rooms are certainly, from my experience, the rooms are slightly because there's more new people I've Mm. found. Last few years, there's been more and more new people coming through. I think that the rooms are slightly uh less intimidating. They were never horrible, but like I think there was an intimidating factor of being around people who are so experienced that
1: okay.
0: the discrepancy was quite high. Whereas now, often of being a rights woman, like I will be the most experienced, where you're like, Well, I I'm quite new anyway. So it's do you know what I mean? So there's much less of a gap. Yeah. So I think people find it much easier to. Well, they see much. Basically, everyone seems much more confident than me coming through. So right. I assume I assume it's easier because uh,
2: it, it's interesting. I was um, talking to Sean Pye recently on, on the podcast and he was saying how different it was, his experience of going through that whole period and that process, you know, in the 90s compared to now. I said in the 90s, they were just they would take no prisoners if you put forward a bad suggestion, they would just rip it out of you. And it was really brutal. And he's noticed the differences now and how it's, you know, it's a lot um it's a lot more welcoming, uh, those oh, yeah. th- those environments.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that's absolutely been sort of my experience, definitely. And like um Sean's someone who I used to sort of scribe for and do all like write his jokes down and stuff like that. And like um that's definitely and, and I would say that's actually one job that really helped me. The um like I said, the sort of the typing job. It okay. you know, doesn't exist in lots of places, but uh, I did it on 8 Out of 10 Cats. Um, and it's a brilliant job because you're essentially, like I said, you're just writing everyone's jokes down. And you're, you're sort of like an unofficial junior writer is probably okay. the best way to describe
2: it. It's not in, by name, but you basically are. And so so are, maybe, you, are you adding, to? will you sort of pipe up every now and then and say, oh, what about this? Uh, <laughs> probably in like a really annoying way. Uh,
0: yeah. Okay. In my head, I was being incredibly witty. Probably asked Sean and he was like, nah, annoying. But... Um, <laughs> No, but I think that, uh, no, your, your job was just to write things down, but the, the producers were like, if you get an idea, pop it in. doesn't matter. You
2: know, okay. you
0: can just write it yourself. But yeah. also just the, what was brilliant about it was being in that room. And it's a thing the Americans do really well with that because they've got a much more kind of structured situation where you've got definite junior writers, definite. there's a definite hierarchy there, mm-hmm. which allows much more inexperienced people to be in those rooms and just to sort of see the dynamics of the room mm-hmm. uh, and because I, I did that job for like 18 months or so, two years. So it meant that by the time I've got, i made the proper transition into a, like a full writer. The first times I was in those rooms, I've been in writers rooms before. So I sort of understood even just basic etiquette of them. Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah. how it, and, which must um, massively be helpful and beneficial. Totally, yeah, yeah, and also it meant that I'd been in a writers' room and I'd said something out loud and people had laughed. So there wasn't like a type. Tar- do you know what I mean? There was yeah. it just those little things really. I think help you. Um, it's, I, it's yeah. It's a real, I think it's a shame. It doesn't really exist in the UK much. It's like pretty much there's only like a couple of jobs that really exist that do it, which is a bit of a shame. But, yeah.
2: Um, but yeah and what uh, has there been because you've worked on, on you know so many different panel shows etc is there any in particular that stand out to you as being a, a very in, enjoyable experience as, as a writer and if so what about it made it such a yeah such a positive uh process well at the risk that any of my
0: potential employers are watching i was thinking would... that yeah putting you in a position here aren't i every, i think every one of them has been yeah. like <laughs> i'd love to come back um i think that like i genuinely like i there's very few jobs that i don't enjoy if like genuinely for writing um yeah. it's sort of for different reasons so like so i do i do frankie boyle for example which mm-hmm. i actually adore because frankie's one of my favorite comics yeah like, you know real kind of so that was a real pipe dream if you know what i mean writing something like that very intimidating but like amazing like experience um and then i do i do the last leg and that's really that's really fun because it's um, it's live. So there's very few comedy shows that are properly live and, and, yeah. and, and have that kind of atmosphere, you know, quite a lot of panel shows, you know, I understand why they have to do this, but for their scene essentially record three hours and then you get a half hour out of it. And it's, you know, it's very much kind of a, a process in that way. So you don't have that kind of live thing you get with stand up. Whereas mm-hmm. last leg, there's something really exciting about, you know, nine o'clock and on a friday night and we're going on an, air in an hour and a story breaks and you've just got to write some jokes very quickly that are going mm. to go on air. people in like 20 and you just got to do it sort of thing so that's so that's enjoyable in, in that way and then and then the first jobs i had uh and still do is for jimmy carr on on the air 10 casting and stuff and countdown and, and those are amazing because he's he's just such a like uh essentially joke machine he's just like got such an amazing brain for formula like just just the wording and how to make something so efficient and and like help me so much and like like if i look back at any of the old jokes i ever used to write it's just like fluff everywhere you just look right. at it and go well that can all be trimmed down to like three words why have i done that you know okay and so so that, i guess that's the quite nice thing about all the jobs i do is, is that each one essentially has a different challenge is a different aspect as
2: so with, um, with with jimmy Carr, then so you'd write jokes and then you submit them to him and would he give you feedback on them and and change them or was it was it quite a collaborative experience working with him in that
0: um, yeah it was it, 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 it's sort of both really it depends on mm. the sort of um it depends on the show a lot of the shows it, it's a timing issue do you know what i mean because yeah. a lot of it's you know the, the the comedians on it might the monologue might not be the only thing they're doing you know they yeah. might be sketches they might be doing all kinds of things they're pulled in all these different directions so um it depends depends how big a part of that show that section is and how collaborative it is if you see, it I means you know there'll mm-hmm. always be a collaboration obviously but it'll be a case of sometimes they're in the room and you're bouncing ideas off sometimes it's much more kind of some jokes about this please and then the collaboration happens afterwards and um but he was always just like you know it was exactly that it was like it's almost nothing more valuable than going through his notes and going, oh, I see. He's got rid of that word. Oh, yeah, of course you get rid of it. You know, Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that, that was a real kind of brilliant way of teaching my brain just to sort of, cause that's, again, I, I that's a, another thing that's I think interesting about new writers certainly is how many new writers and I was definitely guilty of it. Um, and probably still am actually to be fair. How many of them write in their own voice, mm. which is like literally the opposite to what you're supposed to be doing. Like, do you know what I mean? Is in, like, you have to be writing in the comedian's voice. Yes. You know, so the amount of times that you'll see someone and you're like, well, that sort of works as a joke. But either, A, they would never say that. Okay. <laughs> or, or B, it's worded in a way that just sounds weird if they would say it. Or, yeah. so, you know, that's the sort of, that's one of the skills of it, essentially going, okay, well, this person might say this angle and this person might say this angle
2: yeah i I can imagine that being challenging if you've come from a stand-up background and you're used to writing for yourself and then having that transition
0: yeah yeah definitely um i actually found it challenging in the opposite way if that bit weirdly in that i found it really affected my stand-up okay Um, how did it in in what way so i so i said so i started off doing stand-up and um and then and then writing took off and and stand-up sort of was fine. I was gigging, but you know, didn't take off in the same way. And I was finding when I did Edinburgh and things like that, I found it quite hard to, I think one thing everyone wants from stand-up, not maybe in the clubs, but certainly in places like Edinburgh and, and, and increasingly on and stand-up specials, they want like a sort of a piece of you. I mean, they don't just want want like, Oh, what's your, what's your story? What's this really about? Mm. Um, and I found it quite hard to actually access that bit because mm so much of my writing and so much of my comedy career has been suppressing that bit sure
2: there's
0: no one no one needs to hear my thoughts on the subject they need to hear my thoughts from the perspective of someone
2: okay so
0: it became quite a whenever i was writing jokes for myself on stand up i was i I was almost writing it as if a guest was coming on to a show that i was that that, and and that guest was james farmer and i was like okay what james okay he's from wales what jokes i do about wales okay he's got okay he's got a girlfriend what kind of, so as opposed to like a normal stand-up where you're like oh, i'll just talk about myself and make it funny so i found that quite difficult actually it's sort of my brain's slightly
2: been morphed a bit by it's really interesting perfect have you carried on? obviously you can't at the moment but have you carried on uh doing stand-up or did you make a decision after a certain period of time that you're just going to focus on the writing
0: uh i've carried it on but i I made a decision not to um not uh, at the risk of sounding like really privileged but like not to do gigs i don't want to do okay Uh, which uh just because it's really, it's it's stand-up's really, and it sounds obvious, but it's really hard. And like yeah. one of the things that's most difficult about stand-up is the amount of effort you need to put into it in order to make it properly work. You know, you've mm-hmm. really got to be seven times a week. You've really got to go to every part of the country. You've really got to build up that fan base and all those sort of things. And I found myself just being split so much okay. and either having to cancel gigs and annoy promoters, which you never want to do, or having to cancel writing jobs and annoy, which you never want to do. So I just sort of decided I'll, I'm just going to do, maybe like edinburgh and then i'll do a few gigs that i you know i like a bit more so i i I do that now oh well (laughs) i did that um uh until this year but Mm. uh yeah uh and like i said it's 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 fine i I mean i enjoy it i love it but i i do think that there's i think i i have i've never really addressed that ability to now go back and write jokes properly about myself which okay hey maybe i'll be able to do after lockdown ends
2: 2023 here we come (laughs) Because yeah it's such a you didn't even hit 2022 you didn't no, even give me a year straight for it like i think it's gonna be two years i'm, I'm tired with my own optimism so this is <laughs> this is the new me it's the new yeah. me and how does the experience of gag writing compared to working on scripted projects as a writer yeah. uh do you have Matt, a preference like...
0: oh, that's interesting do you have a preference i think by its very nature because i've done more gag writing uh script writing has a sort of quite an allure to it just simply okay. because I it, so it doesn't feel like a job yet do you know what i mean sure okay that, well i imagine if i did more script writing i'd be like oh i wish i did more gag writing yeah. um, I, think, I think that the problem with script writing i found anyway um is that it's such a big it's such a big process like it, it it just from start to finish the idea of writing a whole script and getting it made and all those sort of things is such a long process that um it's both obviously massively rewarding but also just there's no immediate kind of reaction to it was with a gag there's something quite nice about i've written a gag mm. and it's going on telly yeah and then laugh at that so there's the good side that's that at. the bad side of that is it means it's quite almost ethereal in that it kind of just disappears once it's done like I can't tell you the best gag I've ever written like I don't know what that is yeah yeah I've just written all day so I don't know what they are I can remember it happening going oh that got a laugh that's good anyway it doesn't matter whereas I can you know anything narrative I've written I'm like oh I liked that script that was nice if you know yeah it feels a bit more chunky it feels like a bit more of a thing um but I think that the, the actual process of it um I think one of the things I find quite difficult just on a personal level uh, I don't know if other narrative writers feel this but there's there's a lot it's I think it's a lot more brutal in terms of uh effort to reward ratio like in that there's not really a in the UK there doesn't seem to be a a very easy path Mm -hmm. to become a script writer in the same way with gag writing like in gag writing you can do things like Twitter and become funny on Twitter and become funny. And, and you know, there's a world now where you can start getting into those rooms a bit easier and there's more rooms and there's more options and opportunities for it. So as much as it's still difficult, there's definitely a path in there. Whereas I think in the UK, there seems to me, I would say to be a kind of the industry is sort of waiting for Ricky Gervais or Phoebe Waller-Bridge to turn up. Essentially they're sort of waiting for essentially freaks of nature who can turn up with six episodes of a sitcom, that's brilliant. And you're like, those things are so rare, (laughs) like so rare, but that seems to be a lot of what it's predicated on. I I think just from someone, you know, it doesn't seem to be a, it seems to be much less nurtured. I think I I would say.
2: Uh, And in, in terms of those examples that you use, both of them, obviously writer, performers, do you think that's part of it as as well in terms of the the struggle if you if you're if you're solely a writer you're now up against people who not only write but they they want to perform in the damn thing as well yeah oh yeah i mean that's always annoying i mean come yeah. on guys
0: have a don't have the whole pie let me have a little bit no i think i think it's more that, that there's that there's no not no that's i don't want to misspeak there's definitely there's definitely opportunities and there's definitely ways in but i think narrative is so expensive to make and mm. there's so few there's, so, there's hardly any of it it means that producers, quite rightly, are quite risk-averse in terms of um, really committing to something. So because of that, there's, there's not many kind of... Um, I guess, the, so I, I don't mean to always compare it to America, because there's a lot more money in America. You'll have a, a show like, I don't know, the US office or some of the parks and rec, and they'll have like 15 writers on it, 20 writers on it, or, or something ludicrous. And they'll all take an episode each. And within that, there'll be storyliners and there'll be people who do the gags and there'll be head writers, et cetera, et cetera. And from that, they'll get like a proper CV of, oh, look, you know, here's lots of stuff I've done. And then they might go on to make their own things. And so there's a real ladder there. There's a real kind of, whereas here, because it's not so much money, it just, it it, it feels sometimes, I might be wrong about this, but it, it does feel sometimes like they're, they're waiting for that, you know dream person to come along who's just written a thing and it and and if you want to just learn how to do it because that's certainly how i have to do it you know i've got to learn how to actually write a script so i'm not making the same mistakes and all that you have to have a production company take a real punt on you Mm. and go okay well they haven't had anything made but let's just give them some money and give them a go and that's quite a hard thing for obviously a channel production company to do if there's no why would they Mm. if you so I, I think that's that's something definitely narrative that's that's I would say quite
2: difficult because
1: um, mm-hmm.
0: you end up just writing speculatively quite a
2: lot. Um, yeah. And, and you mentioned America is uh, is that a goal of yours to get out there and write on shows over there?
0: Uh yeah, it, it definitely was pre uh, pre calamity um, yeah, yeah. uh, this year, pre the apocalypse. Yeah, there's always something quite exciting I think about Ameri- uh, American telly. Um I, I'm not sure if they need me is the issue I
2: think how would you uh, what, what would your game plan be if you were to be like right, I'm going out there would you um would you just what i guess how would you just try and get your agents set out meetings and do that standard route or have, have you thought about how you would try and do it? Because i I guess the um the challenge is is over here you've you know you've built up all these contacts you know these people who haven't worked on so many shows and then there you're you're starting again from scratch, which which is part of the appeal. It's a new challenge. But what do you think the best way would be for somebody to make that transition? If you're doing your spe- a specific type of writing, where you want to work on shows, you know, joke writing, that that type of thing. I think I would say, <laughs> with really no authority, <laughs> uh, but
0: with a lot of confidence, which is absolutely my way. <laughs> um, I I think weirdly it's about finding like i i actually think in a strange way being an english person or or british person in america has quite a lot of advantages because quite a lot i think of writing is about finding a niche Mm. and finding like like what you are and what Mm. you're bringing to a room um and so many writers rooms anyway are, are are full of the same kind of people Mm. you know there's a lot of oxbridge and there's a lot of people like that I mean, there's no nothing wrong with that but it does mean that you can really tell when a new voice comes in you can really tell you like, oh wow that's a, you know that's a new angle that's a new you know experience certainly mm. so actually weirdly if i if i was to go to america um i'd probably play incredibly heavy on the british thing you know?
2: <laughs> well hello oh, sir probably, oh yeah so probably would you go down that way or would you go sort of more cockney or don't know I how, like, how would you play it
0: Thing is, I'm Welsh, so like, okay. despite
2: the so like,
0: but the problem is, I'm almost certain most American people would assume that that is like a county in England. Yeah, but, like I don't know whether that would help. Mm. Uh, like, there's a world where I genuinely, quite if I said I was from Wales, quite a lot of like, probably quite a lot of Americans assume that's like Narnia or something. So, yeah. convincing versus existed. just a group um, of mammals. Yeah, is, is Wales is that a thing? No, yeah. no, it's not. um I think it's interesting, isn't it? I, I, one of the things I do think is quite difficult, I think for writers actually, maybe not so much for performers, but again, I'm generalizing hugely, is that so much of it is sort of like being able to sell yourself. Mm. And I think I, I find that quite hard as a, as, a, as a concept, being able to sort of go, hey, I'm I'm, I'm pretty excellent at this. You want to hire me? It's mm. a sort of immediate kind of, and I don't know whether it's a British thing. I might be being too kind of, basic about it but there seem you know i think there's a natural instinct to sort of have your shoulders up and go maybe hire me what do you think even if you're really yeah. good at the job there's a kind of and i certainly feel that all the time so i think i'd probably get swallowed up in america quite quickly
2: uh i imagine or we'd go the other way and they just find it very endearing oh yeah i mean we've got we, we got to go with the mute joke writer yeah yeah he's never written a joke
0: um and he seems very nervous all the time but i assume it's like a british thing so it will balance um, out the energy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's about time we had somebody who's not funny in the writers' room, just to sort of give a little bit of balance. Um, yeah. No. So, but no, I, I, I can't imagine doing it at the moment uh, because actually, like the UK industry is, is really good. Mm. Like you know, particularly in lockdown, you know, Touchwood, um, the kind of stuff that I write on's done okay. We've been very lucky with that. So um, it feels like a quite. A, an exciting industry, I
2: would
0: say. Yeah, we don't need America. Yeah, fuck those guys. And any American producers are listening. In which case, we
2: really, definitely need, definitely. Need, definitely it really just really depends. Who's listening? <laughs> <laughs> so, out outside of uh, your your writing career, your comedy career, what what do you do to unwind and relax? And I ask this question every time, obviously, this past year, or we, yeah, over the past year, with obviously COVID in mind, and and I think about pre-COVID and uh, yeah in general i guess when I mean, you don't just have to sit in front in within four the confines of four walls um or maybe more i don't know how many walls you've got but you know some walls <laughs> so you've got you've got some walls uh, james well definitely the one with a the, the gong mirror behind you it's just this i'm, just in, a, this I'm, one. A, I'm in a car park
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I bought one mirror i've <laughs> not eaten for weeks i've got a
2: mirror apart from binge uh shopping on uh, oliver bonham online what uh, what do you do to to relax and unwind um interesting i don't think i've relaxed for like a decade
0: <laughs> uh, um so I, I god that's a how depressing that I can't answer that question very well. Like, you, I, I should be able just to go, oh, I, I relax this way. But, and I genuinely think that most people work with me. Well, know I'm, I'm quite highly strong. So um, one thing that's actually really helped me, like a lot, mm. is um, in the last few years, I started playing Dungeons & Dragons. Ah, okay. okay. Um, just, you know, because I felt like the kind of geek image wasn't quite Full enough. <laughs> did you play it online? No, no, I play it. It's like a sort of it's a, a before now, obviously. I haven't yeah. played it for a year, but free all this, I played it with a, a few other writers and producers who all work in telly. Okay. Essentially like a sort of improv storytelling game. But what's weird about it is it's very creative. Mm. And it's the first thing I've done in a long time that's creative that's not got an end goal. Mm. And it really was an amazing sort of epiphany moment when i suddenly realized that since i was like a teenager i was like you know trying to be funny and i got into university i tried to sort of write you know sketches and things like that but there was always like a am doing it because i want to i want to make something of myself i want to i want to either be on telly or i want to write a script or i want to you know get a sitcom made or
2: there's an end goal to anything yeah. that you're doing
0: and it almost tarnishes everything you do because mm. there's absolutely that even if it's only slight, there's that ulterior motive. You're doing it for
2: that. Yeah. Reason. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it, not, it's, not, it, it's not purely play, isn't it? It becomes something perhaps that, maybe slightly more cynical. Definitely. Definitely that. And, and, like,
0: and there's also that pressure then as well. And there's that, there's that if it doesn't work out, there's that, you know, the, there's all kinds of extra things that come, extra baggage that comes. Yeah. And this, and it, it's, it's only a small hobby I do with mates, but it's funny how, like, because it, it's really creative and it's so pure and so just fun. And doesn't matter, we don't put it in like, and quite a few people said to me, oh, you should do it online, or you should stream it on Twitch, or you should, you know, and I absolutely don't want to do that because there's something really nice about how it doesn't matter, it's just for fun. And it's like, and it just suddenly made me realize like, oh, I, sh- I think I quite like just doing creative things that are literally not for anyone but myself in a yeah. very sort of, just as a balance to sort of balance out the other stuff. Because so much of my job is creative, it means that that part of my brain is 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 become quite entwined with you know trying to make money trying to trying to do better in an industry trying to all those extra things that that slightly um sort of tarnishes that if you know what i mean so so yeah so i do that quite a lot to relax now um and then that's it really i've got a cat that's really
2: yeah (laughs) no it's basically Uh, a relaxing endeavor stroking stroking a cat i mean particularly yeah. when it purrs i don't like it when they you know when they get angry and they sort of they sort of they arch their back i was going i shit myself i get more scared when cats do that than of a dog getting aggressive i just really? I, yeah i just feel like the cats are like ninjas they just just jump at you with a claw and then before you know your eyes out and then it's just a it's a, just a terrible boring story isn't it or how did that happen i just stroked a cat
0: yeah like i, I think the f- the problem is mauled by a cat that's not like a thing, is it? No. More by a dog. Oh my god, are you okay? More exactly. by a cat. Come on,
2: mate. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. So I think that's what I'm most fearful of about cats, as opposed to.
0: Well, I feel you know. What, I
2: feel bad for bringing them up. I'm really sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's just about a a few a, flashbacks, Both <laughs> encounters. Yeah, uh, what about um, exercise or anything, any of that, that type of thing. Does that float your boat? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it
0: does. I could lie. Yeah, definitely. Love it. Um, <laughs> oh, I. So, yes. So, actually, pre lockdown, mm. I did. Yeah, I used to do a little bit. Uh, cool. Like, not much, but a little bit. Okay. Um, I used to, uh, I, you know, I could lock a bit of badminton, sure. But, um, <laughs> but since lockdown, it has been a absolute write off. And yesterday, bizarrely, uh, I went for a run. How uh, did you feel after? Oh, my God. Honestly, like, if. I, I think there's something wrong with my brain because the number of people who have told me that doing something like that makes you feel elated and no, not elated. I just thought I was going to die. I felt rubbish, <laughs> it was terrible. And likewise, in a dry January, uh, and loads of people said to me, "Oh my god, it's you know you'll, you'll hit a moment and you'll go, oh my god, this is amazing! I don't need alcohol. This is brilliant." And every day was miserable, <laughs> and I started drinking again. At one minute past midnight on the first of February. You haven't like,
2: stopped oh. since.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm hammered now. Yeah, but like, uh, but yeah. So I, I I don't really do a huge amount of exercise. Um, but this year has been really bad. I've literally that run was the first time I'd done any form of exercise since last June. Wow,
2: um, I just yeah. couldn't do. I I can't. I go, I can't operate if I don't exercise for a few days. Like I I feel sluggish. I respect people that don't exercise and feel absolutely fine about it. Embrace the sluggish. Embrace the slug.
0: Honestly, it's, you know, once you get used to it, it's just part of life, isn't it? You just go, (laughs) this is who I am now. I have no respect for my body or health. And it's just quite. something quite liberating in that, isn't it? Yeah, it totally is. Once you get get that level. No, uh, I am. Yeah. I probably should do more exercise. But actually as well, I've, giving myself a little bit of a break this year. I think there's like yeah, so many that's allowed. That's definitely are, allowed. Exactly. And I think there's so many people who are lying to everyone else on like social media about how well they're doing and how much they're doing exercise and all that. Yeah. If that's your, if that's your break, lovely. But I decided early doors to just like give myself a bit of a break this year. So I have with Gus.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, you, you just got to do, do what works for you. But yeah, there's definitely people out there that are just sprinkling a little bit of water on the forehead before they take the selfie
0: yeah yeah i mean 100% that Like, like absolutely like incredibly attractive people who have just done a two-hour workout and you're like come on if i do if i walk for eight minutes i look horrendous <laughs> that's uh, not not <laughs> not kidding anyone but uh yeah no so i, I don't do a huge of exercise like i just mostly um quite a lot the one good thing about the lockdown is quite a lot of my hobbies are relatively solitary so things like. Play a lot of computer games I like I'm, i like to read books things like that which which thankfully aren't too haven't been too affected by the yeah
2: pandemic. Uh, yeah i was going to ask you about the the, the books are there any there books that you've you've read over the course of your life james that have had an impact on you in some uh, shape or form it doesn't have to be industry related uh interesting or you found um to be inspiring
0: well, what's... Okay,
2: so a couple of weird things. I have, firstly, a
0: terrible memory. Uh, so I can't remember books. It's really awful. I don't know where this comes from, but I quite often, I've got a Kindle, and quite often I'll open my Kindle and I don't recognise anything in there. And I've, re- <laughs> and I've read all of them. And I think it's because my I'm quite visual, so I used to be able to... Do I understand that, I yeah. And now I can't. Um, weirdly... Uh, Bear with me, because I know I'm right now I'm supposed to say something really, like, <laughs> impressive. And, like,
2: whatever comes to mind, you know, if, if the Bible's your thing, it's the Bible. Uh, well, firstly, super into that. Fantastic,
0: fantastic uh, read. Um, Gripping. Genuinely, uh, I won't, yeah, I'm, no spoilers, I've not got to the end of that one. But um, I think R.L. Stein's Goosebumps series, um, specifically uh, one called One Day in Horrorland. Uh, I don't know that. But. Okay, right, I'm going to blow your mind. So okay. there's a children's author called R.L. Stein, Okay. And wrote a series of books called Goosebumps, which were aimed at, like, sort of eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds. And um, they're essentially, like, kid horror books. And I was, like, obsessed with them, like, obsessed as a child. And uh, uh, I had, like, all of them. And it was, like, my treat. <laughs> we had, like, a mobile library in Wales that used to come to all the estates and stuff which I don't, I've never, I don't know if that exists anywhere else, but it was like an ice cream truck, but for literature. Wow. Uh, which is like, you know, when you go I like in hindsight, so like weird, it would come and it would play a little jingle and like <laughs> you'd go out and it'd be a mobile library and you'd be able to take books out because we didn't have a library. It was like a, we couldn't get to one. So, um, so, and that was my treat. I'd get like a Goosebumps book. And anyway, very long story short, um, I used to try to write my own ones. And that was like weirdly the first time I ever wrote. Okay. Like, Self, i used to try writing uh, you know essentially or little goosebump version my versions of it when i was little so in a weird way genuinely that's probably th- those like really averagey books from when you were a kid were probably some of the most important books to me because i think that sort of made me go oh i quite like doing this thing when you write oh, yeah and shared it with my parents and they pretended to enjoy them um so yeah so weirdly that
2: <laughs> it's fun isn't it when i i can relate to that from you know just dabbling and writing stuff when i was younger but having no um connection to it ever being something that would ever be anything more than that and just sort of like oh this is an enjoyable pursuit but being completely naive to the fact that there's a whole industry out there that you can actually get paid to do similar sort of stuff like that you know definitely
0: like i've really found that as well i found that's a it's a it's a really weird barrier to en- for entry uh, into all these kinds of careers, I think, is if you've got no, like, zero background in it. So none of my family have any kind of background in these sort of industries. They're all kind of, like, either farmers or, yeah. or those sort of jobs. So most of them don't. Most of my think, my family don't. Aren't, I don't think they think I have a job, I think is actually the truth. It's almost impossible to explain this job to a lot of my family. Um, but, like, it means that when you first go into these industries the amount of like stupid mistakes i made because i was i had no concept of it's quite hard to explain unless you understand it but like, i I, like for argument like a really simple thing would be for ages when i did stand-up i wrote five minutes every time i did stand-up so every time i did a five gig and this happened for like a year i wrote five minutes of stand-up every time because you can't repeat jokes obviously you can't repeat them so I just used to do And then somebody was like, somebody saw me and they'd, they'd gig with me the night before. And like, a, it was like a rubbish little open mic. And they're like, oh, you got a new set. And I was like, yeah, why? And they were like, you're not know going to do as a new one every time. Um, <laughs> so like little things like that, like where you're just like, and like, I just had no concept that any of that world was sort of for me or that that's how you transitioned into those things. And I was quite yeah. envious of anyone who's like parents or in the industry or anything. Like, and not because they're
2: just you know, so much more savvy, aren't they, to how the whole thing legs. works?
0: Yeah, not not even for like necessarily like the kind of obvious leg ups or like nepotism or anything like sure, that. Sure, really. sure. Or just the kind of knowledge you have. Yeah. If you understand that, oh, a good thing to do is to look for an agent when you're 18 or 19, or, or a good thing to do is to start, you know, making contacts. I mean, like, I was like easily mid 20s before I thought about anything like that because mm. I had no real, you know, I didn't know those were a thing essentially
2: um and um final question i'm going to ask you james is um what does the idea of balance mean to you or not okay uh interesting um (laughs) i think
0: weirdly if you'd asked me that like a year ago Mm. i think i would have had quite a different answer i think it's been i i the risk of sounding like so much like a cliche, but like, it has like it's been a weird year. It's been unprecedented, so to speak. And I think, um, I think I'm a lot more aware that what I was doing before was constantly comparing myself to other people in the industry mm-hmm. and stressing myself a lot about doing as well as other people. Uh, it's really hard not to do that. I think it's really hard not to go onto Twitter and see someone go just had a sitcom commissioned or hey it's my first saturday night live performance and you're like cool 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 great well you know and the problem with that particularly in a creative environment is that it doesn't really matter what circle you're in there's Mm -hmm. going to be people and like you know if i got if i want a bafta for like my own sitcom and it's everything i wanted and all that well they'll I'll now be in a circle of people who have won more BAFTAs or have won an Oscar or have won a, And suddenly you're like, Oh, I want to, and it dawned on me this year that that's what I was doing. And I was striving constantly to be better than people. And if you do that, you're always, always going to lose. So in terms of like balance, I think, I, I think I've learned a little, I still do it because I'm a human, but I think I'm trying to balance a bit more, that kind of feeling of just being okay with what I've done mm-hmm. just being happy, and, and like taking a moment and going, Oh, I, you know, I've, i've done all right this is fine like i don't have to constantly compare myself to those people who have got that thing or that thing and so that's really what it means to me it's that kind of trying to get that kind of ability just to look at your own situation objectively and and look at where you've come from and and go okay that's fine (laughs) like uh, you know and allow yourself a little bit of um solace in that i think
2: yeah i think yeah, and I think that's very that's a very healthy answer, James. And um, thank you. Uh where can people find out about what you're up to and uh oh, all sorts of your adventures? Uh, <laughs> I should know
0: off the top of my head what my Twitter handle is. I think it's at James Farmer87. Uh, <laughs> if it's not, then uh I think this is a perfect example of how bad I am at the hustle. Um I think it's at James Farmer87 um for musings on the world i occasionally tweet stuff that's funny and occasionally don't um and
2: apart from that hire me <laughs> fantastic God. james thanks so much been great speaking with you absolute pleasure thanks for having me mate perfect